Nyata, hello. It's Alison here from a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. Now, it's a great mystery to me why so many Christians spend their lives condemning people. It's a mystery to me why so many Christians spend their lives feeling guilty and condemned. And it's a mystery to me why I spend so much time condemning myself. It's a great darkness over our faith, a darkness which seems largely impervious to the teachings of Jesus himself. For in John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to another person in darkness, a man named Nicodemus. To him Jesus says, God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be healed and made whole, and those who believe in him are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already. Somehow we don't really hear him when he says he hasn't come to judge. Instead, many of us seem to hear that he and God are in the business of judgment. And then we make ourselves in that image, the image of a judgmental God. And it makes some sort of sense because it's the image of God that many of us have been exposed to. No wonder Christians can be fearful and judgmental. No wonder we can be so toxic. We are all formed in the image of the God that we worship. And if the image is judgmental, then so are we. But this image of God and the theology which surrounds it are not faithful to the God made known in Jesus Christ. Instead, they are products of a particular history a violent imperial history. So it's time for a quick history lesson, in the hope that the truth will clear up the mysteries and will set us all free. For many centuries, Christianity's focus was on paradise. Jesus Christ had conquered sin once and for all, and so, Christians believed, we had entered a new Eden, a new garden of paradise. Earth and heaven were reconciled, and art and theology described a gentle shepherd who walked its fertile hills. Here, all people were made in the image of God. Here, the curse of Genesis 3, the patriarchy, was lifted. The work of a Christian then was to savour life in paradise and to ensure others could too, through gender equality, through justice, through interdependence, through care for the vulnerable and through care for the earth. Then came the rise of Europe's emperors and popes, men who sought to expand their vast territories. But for that, they needed large armies. And so, after nearly a thousand years, a new theology was developed. And this theology turned away from paradise and towards Christ's suffering. For the first time, the crucifix, that is, images of a suffering Christ on the cross, began to appear in church art and it soon dominated the theological landscape. People were introduced to a wrathful God, an angry God. They were encouraged to dwell on Christ's sufferings on the cross taken in our stead. 
and they were taught that they must be eternally grateful for this sacrifice. And if they weren't sufficiently grateful, they would suffer for all time. Naturally, the best way to show their gratitude was to become a soldier and to die for Christ. At the same time, the centuries-old ban on Christians killing people and being in the army was first reinterpreted. Then it was ritually compensated for, and finally it was lifted. Now free to slaughter with impunity, off these good Christian soldiers went, in wave upon wave of crusaders and then colonisers. They brutally killed and were killed in turn in the so-called name of Christ. In other words, this new theology was developed to manipulate people. It was developed to manipulate people. It encouraged peasants to sign up as soldiers and to colonise new regions of Europe and the world and millions died as a result. It had nothing to do with the God made known in Jesus Christ. Yet this pernicious theology still lingers, poisoning our churches, our interpretations, our politics and our souls. So it's time that we laid down our arms and open our hearts to what Jesus is really saying about condemnation. Let's hear him again. Those who believe in the Son of God are not condemned, but those who don't believe are condemned already. Notice what he's not saying. He's not saying that people who do not believe are condemned for not believing. All he's saying is that they're condemned. And nor is he saying that he or God is busy condemning people. He's just said very clearly, I came into the world not to condemn, but to save. And just in case we don't get it, later in the same gospel he says this, I don't judge anyone who hears my words and doesn't keep them, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. I don't judge anyone who hears my words and doesn't keep them. Even if we hear his words and do not keep them, Jesus still refuses to judge. So that begs the question, what is this condemnation and who then is the judge? Well, the answer, I believe, is that we are the judge. We judge other people, we judge ourselves, and any condemnation is a natural consequence of our choices. It's a result of our response to God's gift of love, of life and of light. That is the Son, given in love to the world. How we respond to this gift dictates how our life unfolds. Do we place our faith in a God of love? Do we trust in the gifts of life and light? Do we let ourselves grow into Christ's image, full of life and light and love ourselves? Then we will indeed know fullness of life in this age and in the age to come. We will be radiant, we will be loving, and the darkness will not overcome us. Alternatively, do we turn our back 
on this God? Do we reject life and light and love as weak, useless? Do we prefer to grovel under a wrathful judge who mostly loathes us, who demands total capitulation and who asks that we do violence to fulfil his morbid desires? Then we will become soldiers, abusers, patriots, haters and worms. We will be easily controlled and accepting of violence, both in the giving and in the receiving, and our lives will shrivel up. We have a choice in who and what we trust, and what we choose dictates the outcome. In Deuteronomy, God sets before the people the ways of life and death. One path leads to blessings and shalom, the other to curses and adversity. God carefully describes the consequences of each choice, but in graciousness, God gives people the freedom to choose. But choose life, urges God. Choose life so that you and your descendants may thrive. Each day, each moment, we do choose. We can choose to live expansively, leaning into love and mercy, relying on generosity and grace. Or we can choose to shrivel up, spreading violence, spewing and accepting judgment, cowering under fear of punishment. Let us be conscious of our choices, step by step, day by day. Let us learn to recognise and reject the colonizer's God and the destruction that he brings. Let us not seek to die for Christ as a colonizer's God demands, but let us live for Christ and thrive in him. For an infinite gentleness and grace, our tender shepherd refuses to judge. He refuses to judge. Instead, he just offers love and life without limit, and he invites us to savour paradise. Thanks be to God for such generosity and grace. Amen. Some of the material for this reflection comes from a brilliant book by Rita Nakashima-Brock and Rebecca Ann Parker called Saving Paradise. How Christianity Traded Love of This World for Crucifixion and Empire. It's an excellent read and I recommend it to everyone, although it is rather dense. And if you valued what you heard, there's always more to read on our website at sanctuarybaptist.wordpress.com. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. If you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal and you can find the details for this on the website. This reflection was written and made on the lands of the Eastern Ma Nation, whose people have been sharing story and keeping culture since time immemorial. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Peace be with you all, and we'll catch you another time.